All right, well, I'm here with uh, Len Morris of ViewRail. This is the first installment of the First Dunes podcast. My name is Chad Gessen, and I'm here to help expose people to the different facets of the building industry and real estate development industry to understand who the people who actually practice this on a day-to-day business, day-to-day dealings, how they actually get into it, what inspires them, what motivates them. And I think there's really no better place to start than with Len Morris and with ViewRail because they're a real values-driven company and we're a real values-driven company. And it was a really interesting way that our companies came together in that we didn't know that we would have such combined and and, and commingled values until we started working together. And I'll just give the quick recap, which was that we had seen a video that uh, ViewRail had done with Matt Reisinger demonstrating a one-day installation of a monotube stringer system which was uh which viewer calls a flight stair system and uh, we had built a uh, one house with one of these looks right before that came out and uh, it was locally fabricated and uh it was a nice experience but it was a rough experience with the local fabricator and it was it really held up our production process of the house and it was messy and people were welding in our house and all this stuff went on with it and i saw this video and it's this one day installation and i'm like oh god this is this is amazing because this was really tough and it would be wouldn't it be great to just have the house you know perfectly finished and clean and just have this you know staircase show up and uh, we just pop it right in and all in one day and it's like magic and um, we, the order was amazing, and the, the staff we worked with was fantastic, and the pricing was right, and it was, you know, it was just little savings, and it felt like it was, oh, this is such a win. And um, the stair came to us, and the first piece of it was that the, the local delivery people screwed up, and they damaged some stuff, and they didn't deliver stuff. So we were all prepared, like the video had, was like, make sure you have a crew of five guys there to accept the delivery, but the delivery agent wouldn't say to us whether they were coming at eight o'clock in the morning or seven o'clock at night. And so it was, it was a little choppy at the beginning. And um, as we did the installation, we bumped into a handful of issues and you know the field guys were like this is why you don't buy things on the internet and this is why you need to have the installed by the person who makes it and they're all looking at me and um, I turned around and said you know what I'm, I'm gonna reach out to this company and give them my honest feedback and ask for help and I worked with a person by the name of Austin Williamson here and every bit of feedback I gave and some of which was was I was not in the best mood and I didn't deliver it in a way that I would have now this is three years ago already I'm a more mature person now but I was not super nice to Austin and I was met with nothing but kindness and understanding and um, the taking of responsibility for helping me figure it out and I remember at one point I said listen I didn't pick this delivery company you did and I'm not sitting on the phone for two and a half hours to figure out where this is you guys shipped it you find it and that's not really how shipping works usually once it gets shipped it you know leaves your hands and so in any event from that developed a great relationship because Austin and the VRL team stepped up to the plate tracked that piece down for us got it to the site followed up with us relentlessly anything we needed was never a problem and subsequent to that we we ordered and installed multiple staircases and railing systems from ViewRail. And every time there was little problems as we went. And it was only at the third order I, I, I realized that you guys were also in your growth phase, that this was a young company, a young product for you guys. And that every time I gave feedback, the next order, the feedback was incorporated. You know, we couldn't understand what was in the boxes. And then the next order, amazing, you know, bill of uh, lading came with a, with a shipping manifest and a package manifest. So it's a long intro, but the, the point of it is, is that I realized right away that 
I, I don't really get a lot of two-way relationships with vendors and um, suppliers and us general contractors. The, typically, it's a, we buy it, and when it leaves, it's, you know, I learned in, in, in pre-law that FOB means freight on board, and if it says their dock, that means it's mine when it leaves the dock, and it's my problem from that point forward. And that's the relationship, is FOB your problem when it leaves my gate? And you, you've made a company that where that's, like, not at all the case. And... Um, I'd love to hear a little bit about your origin story to, you know, that ethos, you know, skipping over the, you know, the, the big, how'd you start the company, but, but what inspired you to start a company and how did you build a company that had that deep root of caring? Well, I could share with you my start in the garage story, but everybody has a start in the garage story. So our story is a start in a hog barn because there are not a lot of people that uh, launched their business in a, in a hog barn. We got going uh, early on, and it was a struggle. It was it was super hard to to launch a business, and one of my biggest challenges was in the early days is I had one foot in and one foot out, and I can remember the moment when we switched and I just put both feet into the business completely, uh, kind of took off the parachute and said, "We're gonna have to." We're going to, have to fly this ship and, and make this work. And that was a pivotal moment where we turned all of our energy into what's really become our three values now of eternal, treating every person as an eternal being, whether they are the shipping company, they are an employee, they're a customer, or they are a vendor of ours. And so we've really grown in that thinking. Our second value is being responsive. And I think you experienced some of that. When we get feedback, we're going to respond very quickly. If the market is telling us something, our ears are open. We're going to listen. We're going to adapt. If our employees are telling us something, we're going to respond very quickly. And then our third value is become flourishing. We want to see everyone that experiences a V-Rail brand to flourish. We want our employees to flourish, and we do a lot of things to make that happen with training. You were commenting, you saw up on the board, we're going to achieve 7,000 hours of training this year. Again and again, what the things that employees say that help them to flourish is really about our investment back into them as a company. And we are pouring a ton of time into our employees with, with training. And we want them to flourish, and we think that you and your customers are going to flourish as you experience our brand as well, Chad. Taking that bait on the on the training and the flourish side, you know, one of the things we talked about as we, we, we walked through today and looked at a system of ours that's coming through your factory right now is, you know, how do you, you know, create that, uh, that bond between the manufacturer and the installer? And especially as JJ, your director of operations, used, you know, defy the, the tribal mentality of construction and 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 program. And I, I was chatting with Arnold, my field super, who's here with us on the trip today, about you know why you would have a training center like this. And and I, I felt like you know even despite the fact that you guys are changing your means and methods and all, and your assembly instructions and the way things are built all the time, do you feel that there's like a ethos or like a a, a, um, a common DNA? to the way your products are made so that even if you bring 7,000 people through and train them on the way your products are put together now, that you're really not training them how to put together these products, but you're training them how to think in the V-Rail way. Yeah, um, that's, a, that's a phrase I'm gonna have to grab a hold of, thinking in the in V-Rail way. 
And what we understand, what we keep talking about is the most scarce resource right now is the job site installer. And so our thought processes in manufacturing and design is generally around what is the experience going to be of the job site installer? Because uh, for whatever reason, our society, our economy, our community is not building more of them. And so we need to make them more efficient. And so we're constantly working on labeling systems and explanations on our drawings, on our instruction manuals, on our videos, so that everyone can think about what's it going to be like for the person in the field that has to put this bolt into to this nut on this assembly and how do we make that as efficient as possible you know to use one of your key values you're basically helping them flourish right and we are that's not really something that people say hey let's let's help our construction workers or our even our factory workers flourish and as we walk through your factory floors today i mean your people are are definitely flourishing here and um you know why don't you tell us a couple of the things you've done um especially architecturally with your new factory that you've just built uh to help that happen so we have had a steady progression of building up uh, all of our facilities. Uh, we have about uh, six manufacturing facilities. And the latest one, Plant 6, is a, a building where we really designed it with ergonomics in mind. And it began with having lots of light uh, on all sides of the building, we put tons of windows. The architect would come back to me with the design. I said, I want more windows. He said, I already gave you more windows. I said, well, give me even more of more windows. And so the, the final product is a building that is inviting. It feels good to be in there. It feels like your work is illuminating and see what you're doing. And so the result becomes the floor is clean. The, the workbenches are clean. The machines are are clean and so we've built that we've also put together a plan for a four hour four day work week with 10 hour work days and people have really leaned into having a three-day weekend every week and they have figured out how to get their work done in those 10 hours and you combine that with the training and the upskilling that is happening to everybody who goes through that plant after a year, they come out of there knowing how to do a lot of things they didn't know how to do before. You know, it's funny. Um, I've been here to Goshen a few times, and uh, you know, my first perception as a as an as a coastal elite, if you will, was like, "Oh, this is small town America." But this is not a small town. I mean, there's a lot of factory work going on here in this area. So the question I have for you is: is you're you're doing the four day, ten hour work week? That means your 300 or so employees here in Goshen are getting that extra three day weekend. Um, is there like a buzz about town about that? Uh, how is that received within the, the local manufacturing community here? So we're a um, we're actually a fairly small manufacturer in our community. There are a lot of large recreational vehicle um, manufacturers. The RV business, the RV business has been absolutely on um, just on fire and in, in growth and expansion, and they've been so busy for the last several years that ViewRail's just kind of been growing quietly. Now, as um, gas prices have gone up, economy's a bit of a shift. The RV industry isn't quite as popular. And our email box is flooded with resumes of people who have heard about this little town in Indiana called Goshen, this little company called ViewRail, and they want to come see if they can be a part of it. And do you think that this four-day work week concept is a, is a piece of that? I, I think that, uh, as well as... We, 
when you walk through our shop and the word has gotten out, nobody looks like they're running in a rush or hurried, but they are steadily creating flow and flowing through th things through the shop and there's a good uh, atmosphere. And we have made an in incredibly intentional effort of pouring into managers and to supervisors because we've all heard the phrase, people don't um, quit jobs, they quit supervisors. Yeah. And we understand that, we've leaned into that, I try to model that from my role, and we uh, just don't tolerate anybody who doesn't see and understand that the greatest resource we have is the people who work here. I mean, I think one of the things I took away when you announced your your three big whys and and the treating all people as eternal, and the way that you've uh, you've built that architecturally and engineering into your process in this you know plant six uh, is is incredible. Be it from you know eliminating the forklifts or you know to, to prevent people from getting injured and all of this daylight planning the flow so that people you know can sh in a stress-free way know they, they're taking their break and they're not backing up the assembly line H how many people did it take you know within your team to sort of bring all of those ideas together to you know to deliver that into one space like that so uh, we have um, one of my business partners is an architect. And so we have in-house our own construction company and, and architect um, to, to, to do the design. And then it was really a, a team of about two or three other people just moving um, blocks around on paper, moving designs around on CAD until they got it finalized. And they spent a lot of time um, figuring out the flow so that they could build a building and move everything in and have all of their wonderful plans and realize, yeah, they're probably not right. Mm -hmm. And so I would say nearly every machine that isn't a monument, that isn't like a powder coat oven that can't be moved, has been moved <laughs> since we moved in there. And that's a part of that continuous improvement uh, ethos that we have of we want systems that are going to continue to be flexible. We've really embraced flexible manufacturing. We were talking before about Kaizen, you know, the Japanese concept of continuous improvement. Yeah. And I mean, so you have a lot of employees and many have been here for a long time. And do you feel like you have, I mean, we met one today, Tyler, who feels like he's one of these employees that you, you, you know, you've created a lane for Tyler where he is like a Kaizen master where it's like, right, like, you know, whatever it is that he needs to do uh, that day to master hit, to take his mastery up another level, that there's a, that, that that's useful to the overall mission. Do you have a, a, many employees like that? Do you feel like? <laughs> um, nearly all of them. Uh, Tyler is uh, a pretty special case, but I think it, everyone who is a part of Vueil really feels that they're a part of Vueil and they're committed to it. And I probably had the wool pulled over my eyes in, in some instances, but there's another instance in which you're just not going to make it here. You're just not going to, you're not going to flourish. You're not going to enjoy it because there's a lot asked of people. Like we feel like we give a lot. We have a, a pretty good compensation program. We have a four-day work week. We try to build great environments. But the other side of that is um, I'm pretty well known for saying that my standards are very high and don't ever ask me to bring them down. You can ask for more, more resources. You can ask for more help to do this, but don't ever ask me to lower the bar. The bar is set high and you got to find a way to get over it. And if people don't want to get over that high bar, 
they tend to find somewhere else to to take their skills. There's a, I believe it's a psychotherapist by the name of Martin Seligman who actually has a book named Flourish. And hmm. he also writes a lot on mental toughness on that on that concept and has also a lot of, you know, intersection there with gratitude. Mm. And I guess the question I have for you is, you know, do you feel do you practice gratitude with your with your with your employees? Do your employees practice gratitude within the with it within some type of structure in the in the company? Because everybody does seem happy and grateful when I see you interact with them. I mean, I see you, you know, praise your your staff. But do, do you feel it happening as a as a network effect? I I feel it and and I see it. Um, and in the, in the sewing principle and you, you reap what you sow, I seek to put out every day walking through a plant. And when I walk to a plant, my goal is to call every person by name throughout the organization. We're somewhere around between 330, 350 people now. And to be able to call everyone by name and be able to make some type of connection. I also try to call or text one individual in the organization every day and praise them or give them thank give thanks for something that they have done hmm. and what uh, what happens that little seed that i sow it seems to be coming back to me because my phone is full of text messages every day of people just saying something they appreciate about the business or something they appreciate about the opportunity here that's really amazing you know one of my most disliked parts about myself is that my name recognition is terrible and I, I see you do that as you walk through the factory floor that you have everybody's names and I just wonder like have you always had that skill or have you been working on that um I skills are something you can learn a talent is something you're born with it's, it wasn't a talent I was born with it's something that I have had to work on um uh, in a former life, first eight years of my life, I worked as um, a pastor in a church. And so I think some of that skill development back then of understanding, I pretty quickly need to know everybody's name. That's uh, something I had to do. I actually, we also took a directory of everyone's picture. And if I know I'm going to a plant tomorrow, I might uh, scroll through the slide deck and give myself a refresher on, on some names. That's totally fair. So actually, you, you referenced your former career, and I had I had uh, was researching something the last time I came out here about you guys, and an article from a local newspaper came up that referred to you, I think, as the reluctant manufacturer. Is that the headline? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, that was a part of that. When I launched this business, kind of one foot was in and one foot was out. I really thought my life was going to go back into professional ministry where I'd be paid to be a pastor. Little did I know that I would end up probably being a, a pastor to... 300 and some people that show up here every day and just as just before we came into this podcast i got a phone call from a a vendor of ours um who's said his wife has cancer and she's having surgery on thursday and just asked me if i would pray with him and so spent some time praying with a vendor before we launched on the podcast it's just uh, kind of woven into who we are that's beautiful that's really beautiful and so when you were, you know, in that one foot in the door, one foot out the door, if I correct me if I'm wrong, but at that point you were actually were a reluctant manufacturer in that you were really not manufacturing the stuff yourself, right? I was buying everything and I thought that the, the easy way was to be a distributor. Um, 
well, after a little while being a distributor and feeling and recognizing it to be a distributor of custom products is a, is a horrible place to be because you have no control of your future. You have no control over supply. And all you have are customers yelling at you about where stuff is. And I, I was unable to solve it. And so I said, well, I guess I'll buy a saw and a glue rack and I'll glue up these handrails myself. And uh kind of did it with hammer and chisel the hard way until we finally got to the point. I remember where we finally bought the last piece of machinery, which no longer exists. All of that early machinery is gone. But we bought the final last piece of machinery to enable us to be a complete self-contained manufacturer and make everything stair parts that that we needed. That was a fun day. Mm -hmm. And now it's been an even funner day that we have upgraded all of that and we have really robust equipment for our people to run we gave ourselves a tour arnold and i through the wood shop across the street oh, good just now and i i did that because i really wanted to arnold to see your finishing operation but one of the comments that 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 i made as you walk through there is you know even in the high-end cabinetry world you know typically the carpentry people aren't they're outsourcing the finishing mm -hmm. and um you know it's it, it, what, what that prompts me to ask you is this is you know on one hand you give your staff and your team so much latitude um, and so much encouragement to, to, to grow and, and to run the business and take the business in all different directions. But at the same time, you're integrating the whole organization came out of a need for control. And it's an interesting balance, right? To be both somebody who's, you know, very focused on controlling the whole process. Like for instance, that on one end of a building, you've got, you know, a stack of wood you know, of just raw materials. And as you do a circumnavigation through that building, you go through every stage of that getting fabricated, glued up, you know, sanded, and then of course down a conveyor belt essentially of all different finishing done by hand and baked and all of that. And you look at that and you're like, well, this is somebody who's a control freak who wants to control their whole process. Cause you could have easily said, we're done when this is just finished and sanded and ready for, for stain. And, you know, we'll contract to a stain finisher elsewhere and then they'll ship it away to our client. And so how did you strike that balance for yourself? Well, there was a day where we did have to outsource because we didn't have a, a finish room. And it, it was so painful, Chad, because when I want to serve a customer like you who has clients with very high end expectations and you want me to go back and forth maybe three, four times to get a perfect stain match that your client can sign off on. And if I'm trying to do that through an outsource resource, it, it, it's impossible. Uh, I can't be responsive to you and to your needs if I can't turn those stain samples quickly. So we need to have control of, of that process. And then when uh, something happens that you need one more piece, one piece gets damaged, something ha uh, a need arises, I need to be able to be responsive and turn that piece quickly. And when we have an outsource finishing, they're looking at me cross-eyed like, what are you doing Bring me one piece? Well, it's for my really good customer, Chad, and he really needs this. And he's like, yeah, uh, you're still at the back of the line. You're gonna wait two weeks. And you can't wait two weeks. I need to turn that part around for you next day. And, you know, there's an incredible amount of confidence it takes, though, like a field of dreams mentality, right? Where you're like, I I'm going to, you know, you you build all this excess capacity, essentially, to be able to turn around one piece for a client like me, a one remake uh, out of 30 treads. I'm going to remake you one piece. I'm going to keep a library of your stain sample and your process noted and uh, be able to turn that out. I mean, to build a company that's got the capacity to be able to plug that in, you have to sort of have either no fear 
or a vision that this is going to grow to a point where that all makes sense. How, how did it feel when you were first setting those processes up? Did you, was it fear or was it the blind faith? Uh, probably the intersection of both of those somewhere. But our mentality is we want 20% more capacity than what peak demand is. So we forecast what peak demand is going to be for the next year. And we make sure we have 20% more manufacturing capacity than what peak demand is. Because Murphy's a real person and um, Murphy shows up. And when Murphy shows up and he starts eating into that 20% extra capacity, we want to know that we can still get product out and on time to you as our customer. And some amazing things happened when we got 20% more capacity than peak demand. Our profits actually started climbing. Hmm. And profits started climbing because people had a little more buffer in their schedule, a little more margin to be able to take a little extra care and to not do things in a sense of a rush. Meaning so the remakes went down and the damaged material and all the mistakes start to go away. Uh, mistakes uh, really start to go down and lumber utilization, material utilization uh, improves. Um, able to eliminate the cost of, of overtime and everybody's running on 40 hours a week. The employees are happier. They're more relaxed. And it's it's all snowball of, of all of those effects. We got to see that this morning as we were walking through and um, you and JJ were like, we were walking past all these stations and it was like, I don't know, it was like 10, 10 o'clock in the morning. And even though you started the shift at 4.30. 4.30. So that's pretty late in the day already for them. But at that point, you know, talk about your 20%, right? You're about, about crossing that 80% point of the day. And most of the stations were just reaching the point where they'd finished all of their scheduled production for the day. And um, I, I was really took note of how calm you guys were about the fact that, you know, there were still people in the in the shop and yet there wasn't a lot more work for them to do. And that was fine. I think it was either you or JJ said, yeah, well, they'll just like, you know, clean up a little bit or maybe they're cross trained. They'll go help somebody on the other side of the factory. And I thought that was such an amazing vibe to have going through a factory that you don't expect that you expect that, like, you know, a bell's going to ring and uh, machines will start chugging and no one's allowed to look up until the next bell rings. So I might start a, a firestorm here of, of, of haters on your field, on your, on your podcast from the accounting groups, but I really subscribe to Goldratt's theories, theory of constraint and under, understanding in that that labor is a fixed cost. Labor is not, is not variable, and study after study shows that if by trying to chase and make labor a variable expense where you're laying off and then rehiring or cutting people's hours, there is no correlation that it actually saves companies any, any money. And so we treat labor as a fixed cost. People are gonna be here for 40 hours. We're not sending people home to try to cut costs. We wanna allow them to do their work and do it of the highest quality and know that they've got a stable paycheck. And I think you know on those fringes of the day, you get this real camaraderie probably within the factory too, which is a, you know, a, has a multiplier effect, I imagine. It, it, it does, and our shops are, are left clean at the end of the day, and the work is done. Whatever is begun in the morning 
is finished by the end of the day. Now there is a line charge, there's a charge so the beginning of the morning doesn't start empty, but whatever the defined, this is what we're gonna begin, that's what we're gonna do today, it gets done every day. And so that's a part of my bar thing. My bar's high, you can ask for more resources, but don't ask me to lower my bar and say that, oh, work can just carry over to the next day because the next day turns into the next week, turns into the le- next month, and that's just unacceptable. You're aware, though, of how unique that is within this industry, right? Well, I, I've, I've never worked for anyone else in the industry, so I don't know. We just kind of build it around the values that we think make the most sense. Like we came in today and it was like, the, we, we've been planning this for the past you know month or so, You know this day and this, this, this project coming through. And um, it was funny because, you know, there's one component of your team, which is the marketing department that set this all up with, with Zach and with Brian, who does ours. And, um, and you know, they were always like, you know, oh, the, a little bit later on the dates thinking that the things would come through and then I, they would fill me in and I would check in with JJ and operations. And I, it was always so interesting that like the precision to which it was like, no, we're going to fabricate your materials on whatever it was, the 9th of December. They're going to be on the truck on the 14th. And within our industry, like, I think it's assumed that, that that's, you know, that's like a, off of a Gantt chart schedule. Like, that's what we're trying to make happen. And, you know, people have a baseline schedule and then the revised schedule and then the updated schedule. And it's like a it's a, it's an exercise, it's an intellectual exercise. It's not a reality. And um, I know when I when I represent within my organization, no, I, I mean, I spoke to ViewRail and they say we're going to be fabricated this day. We're going to be shipped that day and we're going to be received this day. And people look at me and they go, yeah, but, you know, you don't really believe that. I mean, we're talking about this a month and a half out. And I'm like, no, I, I mean, I have that confidence in you. And they don't not have confidence in ViewRail. But, you know, people who don't deal day to day like I do, they're so used to, you know, everybody. I mean, we just went through this, and I won't say it on here, but with, like, you know, two of the large American window manufacturers the past year and a half. And, I mean, they give you a range lead time. And after you give them a $150,000 order, they don't even update that to be like, what's your delivery date? I mean, they used to do that. But then when they did it even closer, you know, they would just change the delivery date without notifying you. And just you would just the date would come and pass. And then you'd be like, hey, do you know what's going on? And um, there was no care there. And I, I think that you guys deserve to be lauded for, you know, for that. We're going to start the day with this plan. and We're going to end the day with this plan. And we're going to get that done. I know we're small fish and I don't have a pedestal to tell everyone else what to do, but uh, at the risk of like getting out of my swim lane, I would want other manufacturers to embrace, build your own stuff. Stop, stop relying on imports, stop relying on unreliable supply chains and, and lowest cost producers, because by the time it gets to you, Chad, it wasn't the lowest cost. Yeah, but the, all the delays, the pains that you experience are not are not lowest in cost. We need to be looking at what is the cost on a totality of for the final deliverable. And when we embraced and understand that us being on time and manufacturing is really really cost effective for the entire supply chain, then it means that we can't be relying on stuff that comes in on a boat. We have to be relying on stuff we can control. So we have um, deep relationships with the people that own the the woods and where the lumber is grown. We cut and dry our own lumber so that we can have a, a deep relationship into how all of that flows. We have investment into the aluminum extrusion facilities so that we can make sure we've got a good supply of, a, of aluminum. Those things are 
those supply chains are really important more and we learned that in the last two years i love that even insofar as the nitrogen required for your process you know <laughs> you know we'll just make nitrogen you know because otherwise it's gonna you know how could that derail you yeah and well the air is mostly nitrogen it's all around us why not harvest it ourselves it's an amazing solution i mean i think that brings us to um i think one of the like the things you're closing out 2022 with a huge success on which is vrail delivers Mm-hmm. And, you know, maybe you could talk about that. I think I, I, I insinuated at the beginning that, you know, one of our biggest pain points that we had with you guys was that it would leave, you know, it would leave Goshen and it could pretty reliably get from Goshen, whatever it was, the seven, 800 miles over to New Jersey. And then the question was, was from New Jersey, the last 65 miles over to the Hamptons, you know, what, what was that going to, when was that going to happen? How was that going to happen? When were we going to know that was going to happen? And was, were the things all going to show up and not show up damaged? And, and the answer usually was, was very uncertain. That's where all the delays were, a lot of frustration there. And things were coming in damage, which was the worst part, because now you guys had to make it again. And uh, we were delayed. It was like everybody got hurt in that. And um, I, I was, we were took delivery, I think, from one of your first V-Rail Delivers trucks last summer. And I, I reached out to your staff right after it came because, it, you know, the smile on my face, not only when it came, like exactly at the, at the hour that it was appointed to come, which was such a big deal to the guys because, you know, we, we provide the support to unload these trucks. And, you know, the, the, you, know you want to have enough men around to help carry that stuff off the truck. It's heavy parts. And, you know, they, it's important that we know kind of roughly, you know, within an hour or so when you're going to show up. And for most of the things in the world we expect, if I'm coming to your house for dinner, if I tell you I'm going to be there at seven, you know, I'll probably be there, you know, sometime plus or minus 15 minutes of seven, you know. And um, so it showed up on time. But then out of the out of it came, you know, uh, a, a longtime V-Rail employee who um, was a pilot here and um uh and also it you know b- became a truck driver i think he had a cdl already or got one but he drove that himself and i remember saying like oh this is like a military loadmaster because he had he was going from us to miami to dc or wherever else and he had the whole 18 wheeler packed in a certain way so that nothing had to get moved two times and he immediately took control of my crew and directed them what to do which was great and stood there and watched with a checklist of everything that went off the truck and you know i remember with the corner of his eye he caught two treads that had the most minor defects to them that we would not have we would not have seen this we would have made the assumption that these things were damaged by us on installation and um figured it out or called you guys later for a replacement but he immediately identified those marked them made a quick phone call and those things were in production already and arrived on our job site like three days later four days later and and i thought about the whole thing and i was like wow if for no other reason then how much time for your company and for my company was just saved by the whole flow of that delivery so this year um you've had a lot of growth with that i'd love to hear about how you feel about where vrd has gone Necessity is the mother of invention. Uh, first of all, I want to apologize to you for that experience that that you had. I feel, I feel so badly. I feel your pain of you standing there and waiting all day for the truck that never comes. And when it does come, it only has half of it. And uh, I, I'm sorry you experienced that. Um, I'm glad we're able to fix it. I want to say I'm grateful I experienced that because I don't think I'd be here today if that didn't happen. So <laughs> true, it um, that adversity furthered our our relationship, and so we made a big shift and we recognized 
that we had to do something radical. The size of orders that we were delivering was growing. We weren't uh, just doing small orders anymore. We were doing very large houses, very large uh, delivery pieces. And the LTL freight environment just didn't want to handle uh, our product anymore. And so we needed to get to a direct ship model. And financially, in order for that, for that to work, we need to have multiple loads on a truck. So we have um, put together five distribution centers around the, the country, out on the eastern seaboard, down uh, in the south, and out in the west. And when I ran the numbers last month, 60% of what we ship is now going on our own trucks. And so end to end, it is going to come to you with a view rail employee who understands the product, understands your need. Uh, every one of them puts their, puts their pizza tracker together in the morning so you can watch them via GPS and, and get a update on knowing exactly when they're going to be there. So you got a good time frame. And you're probably experiencing them either calling or texting you and of informing. And uh, by the way, a little hint, hint, there's uh, on that shipping app, there's an opportunity for you to give them a tip. Mm. And uh, to because these drivers, they're really making the difference. And um, we don't we don't peel a percentage out of that in any way. This isn't any plug for me. This is purely a plug for the people who are doing the hard work of, of driving. Yeah. We, it was important to me that when we set that that app up, that there was a way for people to give thanks for good service. Yeah. And um, our drivers are really experiencing that. Uh, I'll just go on with that a little bit. Oftentimes our managers will may have to fill in if there's a sickness or a vacation. And we, we racked up a pool of about $800 of tip money from managers that were driving because managers said, I'm not taking, I'm mm -hmm. not going to take the tip. And uh, our manager was showing me all the swag that he was buying to give to the drivers of, of um, thermos bottles and coats and, and and other stuff. So it's really neat to see how all that's coming together and it circles back to that idea of gratitude and flourishing you were discussing. And also just the, you know, that, you know, coming at your business and at your day-to-day -day life, it sounds like, with treating all people and beings as eternal, you know, and that, you know, both, you know, your relationship with, with me and with, you know, my customers and my workers is eternal. And, and the way that you, you know, you had this broken link in the chain, right? Because mm -hmm. it was like, you had this great support up until it left your door. And then great support once it came messed up to our door. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, but, but, you know, more than anything else. And, you know, it was, and I remember one point, one of the deliveries was terrible and the, the driver was really not nice. You know, not one of yours, one of the FedEx deliveries. And, um, and I said, you know, to the guy, this one I knew you well, and I'm like, you don't understand the kind of love this product was made with and that the hate you've just treated it with on your truck really upsets me. And like, that was the conversation. So, so when that first VRD delivery came through and it was delivered with such, you know, love and passion for the, for the, the product that was coming through the door, you know, if for another reason, other reason you know, you're, you're literally handing that to the people who are going to install it exactly you know and and to have that continuous connection there you know really does you know hammer home you know what's so important you know about this i mean no ultimately right people are like what are they talking about again oh we're talking about staircases and railings but you know honestly stairs and rails are like actually super important parts of your lives you know there's a whole separate code section for these things mm -hmm. because this is the part of the building that you need to get from another part to a, to the other and also keeps you from falling to your death and it can both be really beautiful and also a life safety and critical egress component. And it, it should be designed with love. You know, I mean, I, I, one of the things I was taught by my father 
is that you can always tell if there's a bad rise and run in a tread in a, in a, in a stair system. Absolutely. Your brain is designed to detect that. And that's why, you know, the code I think is, you'll know, be better. You three sixteenths of an inch you're allowed for variance between uh, rises, something like that. Yeah, it's pretty close to that. And, um, you know, and y- your brain will feel three sixteenths. And I- I've always sort of like been like, wow, that's so important. There's not a lot of other things in this world where your brain will detect, you know, a differential of, you know, fractions of an inch and, and-, and potentially cause you to fall if you don't have that, you know, all correct. And so the-, the love that goes into the design and the execution really is important because it's a permanent fixture in a home that really or in an office that really everybody interacts with every day and they might not notice but you know if you put enough of that love into it i think they they will feel it and it'll come out forever i'm glad to hear that yeah the the staircase uh as we think about the the things in the home there's plumbing and there's electrical and there is stair the staircase that really consumes the largest number of part numbers skus and most people over the life are not going to fundamentally change the staircase. They're probably going to swap out light fixtures several times and plumbing fixtures several times. But the staircase really deserves a lot of that attention. It usually consumes 2 to 3% of the budget of, of the home. And people are realizing what an artistic showpiece it is and it needs to be. And they're really leaning into the 3D visualization and the renders that we do and the design so that they can see and understand exactly what they're going to get. So, and I, I believe that completely. I have a client right now, actually, that uh, asked me to, uh, we just ordered a stair from you. And nonetheless, she wants me to post haste have you guys also show a rendering of what it's going to look like in her yeah, living yeah. room. Even though we've bought it already, I was like, okay, we can do that for you. But I wanted to ask you, I, I mentioned that, you know, I work in a family business with my father uh, and my sister. And I know you have, you know, children and, and Marcy, your wife, was in this business with you. And how has that been, you know, and how have you balanced that and brought their creativity, you know, into uh, the stair supplies and viewer world? Um, Marcy and I launched this business. We, we lived it and breathed it. She retired about a year and a half ago. And as grandkids started coming along, she decided she, she wanted to do some other things that would be more uh, rewarding to her. And I, that's been a blast and been super happy. But some of the most interesting times I remember, um, Chad, I, I started this by cashing out my my retirement savings and I think I had about $16,000 and so I cashed that out and Marcy and I this was when both feet went in and there were days that were just very very difficult and she's coming to me and saying how are you gonna how are we gonna pay the bills and like I don't know we're gonna figure that out and it seemed like she would say you know when she was really down and discouraged I was up and I was upbeat and when it was, the tables were turned and I was down and discouraged. She was upbeat and we really carried each other uh, through that time. And our our two sons who are older and I have a younger daughter who's still in high school, our two sons I think saw that and understood that and now they've taken on significant roles in the manufacturing side and in the marketing side and their leadership is is propelling a number of things forward as well and we have a good time with it we um we don't have fights and 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 arguments and we're talking about ideas every day uh one another of you know what's the idea of how we're going to market this what's the idea of is there a better way to to build a tread and you'd say come on then we've been building treads for a long time 
probably every month we come up with a small improvement uh, via our discussions that happen nightly about how to build things a little bit better. And isn't that such a fun family bond? I mean, we have a similar bond like that in our family where it's like there's definitely a push and pull where it's like, you know, someone's got an idea today, another person's got an idea tomorrow. But, you know, um, once you sort of let go of ownership and just like it's a shared ownership, it's a communal ownership, you know, within the family, you really, I think, you know, can flourish in a way, if you will, where there's so much co-generation of ideas happening at the same time where you know you know I, I do something a certain way and then um my dad might walk through the project an hour after i walk through and tell the people the guys something completely different than what i just said as a you know way to you know continue on that you know custom detail or whatever sure and you know one of the things we've sort of had to refine is like listen n- none of us are right you know and yeah. none of us are wrong yeah you know and it's like just you know go with it and you know and, and it's an interesting growth process as you go through this and you refine different ideas i mean actually the the monotube stringer design came into our houses actually my dad is a prolific scroller of the internet despite being a 72 year old almost 73 and um he had screen captured a picture of a of a monotube stringer stare and uh, you know, we'd seen him around, but it wasn't very popular at the time. This is like, you know, six years ago or so. And um, hey, what do you think about doing this? And, you know, I said, oh, that's a, I didn't know you were into that look. I was afraid to push the envelope mm. for him too far towards modern. And I said, let's do it. And that was like the first toe into really letting go of a more traditional like 90s, early 2000s style and sort of move into where we're at yeah. this, this look that we're doing now. And um, that was a really cool, you know, progression in my relationship with my dad, you know, in, um, in, in, okay, yeah, well, let's, let's, how can we start to push the envelope of some modernity in our looks while still, you know, keeping these traditional, you know, iconographies that people connect to for a home or for a beach home. Um, But to have that collaboration be happening, as you said, like at the dinner table or after work and have it be like, that's your recreation with your family. That's a, it's a unique relationship that, you know, when I'm spending time with people who don't work with their family, I, I often have a lot of gratitude for, you know, the fact that, you know, it's like, wow, I, I really get to do a lot of cool things with my family members. I, I feel the same way. And so then the, the fear becomes, well, do you, do you ever turn it off? And I'll tell you, Chad, and your dad would probably say the same thing. When the grandkids walk in the door, it all shuts off. Yeah. And, and that's the beauty of, of that family connection, that those little ones really help us make that connection to what's eternal and to understanding that there's something much greater than building a stairway and the grandkids have really helped me see and understand that well, I, I have a seven-year-old daughter and um and two nieces that are surrounding that age and that, that's definitely what happens in our world too is that they come in and uh you know we switch gears to building a lemonade stand instead yeah. of uh, building a house you know which is the the best part of the weekend or the day so well um anyway i think this was uh unbelievable and unbelievable to get to know you even further here but really to get out to goshen again to have this experience of uh of seeing uh the view uh, the new um flight stack system come through to watch caleb you know tell you this morning on the way in hey by the way we changed the name of the system from terrace to flight stack <laughs> and to get to observe that little snippet of it and just to anytime i get to be here with your team i know i get to return back home to New York, you know, recharge both with, you know, ingenuity, but also with, you know, uh, a renewed and deeper sense of, of values and, and gratitude for uh, the fact that I get to do this every day for a living and I get to, you know, work with people like you and your team and your family. Well, it's, it's good to know we put uh, a little dent in the big apple. <laughs> you got to come take a bite soon. <laughs> we'll go to work on it. All right. Thanks so much, Len. I really appreciate it. Thanks a lot, Chad.